Welcome to Oddments, the podcast for curious things and curious people. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This week, some unusual facts about lightning, some problems with Greenland, a mysterious hum on the west coast of the United States, and an overlooked quote from Willy Wonka. Lightning. The sound you're hearing is not lightning. It's thunder. This is a quirk of language where a sound has been removed from the force that creates it. And given that they're often experienced at different times, it makes some sense. That particular piece of thunder is called castle thunder, and it's a staple sound effect that we've all heard many times since its introduction in the 1931 classic film Frankenstein. You may recognize it from Scooby-Doo. Gilligan's Island, or even the Haunted Mansion at Disney Parks. This chamber has no windows and no doors, <laughs> which offers you this chilling challenge to find a way out. <laughs> of course, there's always my way. Quite often, it's played concurrently with a flash of lightning on the screen. Of course, you'll probably never hear that sound at the same time you're seeing the lightning that created it, unless you're being struck by it. The delay between the sound of thunder and the light from the flash is due to the distance between you and the bolt. If they happen at the same time, you're very close indeed. Summer is coming to North America and Europe, and we'll soon be seeing heat lightning. That's the colloquial term for lightning that you see lighting up clouds in the sky without producing thunder. Of course, we now know that all lightning creates sound when it superheats molecules of air and they collide into each other. What we call heat lightning is simply lightning that's very high and very far away. We're not close enough to hear the thunder that was definitely created. Lightning still has some mysteries, but what it is is well established. It's static electricity caused by friction in the atmosphere. As warm, moist air moves more and conducts electricity better than cold, dry air, lightning is most commonly associated with tropical climates. That doesn't mean you can't experience thunder snow, where static discharges during winter weather. On average, there are 100 lightning strikes every second somewhere on Earth, but by no means are the strikes evenly distributed. In North America, Florida gets most of the abuse but Kafuka in the Congo gets 158 strikes per square kilometer each year. In Catatumbo in Venezuela, lightning happens with such regularity that it can be used for navigation. For 160 days a year, 20,000 bolts an hour strike a specific spot where moist air hits the mountains. It's like having fireworks all summer long. Lest you think lightning is nothing more than sometimes dangerous lights and noise, it does serve a useful purpose. Each bolt generates a tiny bit of ozone in the troposphere, which is where it needs to be to protect us from the sun's UV rays. If you're able to attend a College of Curiosity table demonstration, we not only generate lightning, but also demonstrate a lightning detection device popularized by Benjamin Franklin. We hope to see you there. The Problem with Greenland Kamaran
You may have heard the old truism that Greenland isn't green, and Iceland isn't covered with ice. It's actually Iceland that's green, and Greenland is ice-covered. And while you can find ice and greenery in both places, this truism is largely true. When you look at its population of only 57,000 people, it's unusual that so many of us know where Greenland is on a map, not to mention having even heard of such a place. But like the idea that Greenland is particularly green, much of what we know about Greenland is wrong. First off, the map is lying to you. Greenland is big, but not that big. Though a normal map shows Greenland to be about the size of Africa, it's really about the size of the eastern United States. Brazil may look smaller on a map, but it's actually four times larger than Greenland. The problem is with the most common maps we used, called the Mercator Projection. By taking a sphere and making it flat, the Mercator Projection exaggerates the size of land near the poles. The farther away you are from the equator, the more the exaggeration is. Greenland is quite close to the North Pole, so it has some of the largest distortion. This problem has been known for centuries, and there have been several proposed solutions. One of the more common was Good's homolosine equal area projection. This is the map you've seen that looks like it's cut up and could be folded into a globe, because that's what it is. While it's useful for comparing the size of countries, it's not intuitive for gauging distance, and it's pretty much useless for navigation. Other maps have tried to compensate for this by changing from a rectangle to a diamond or oval shape, but this distorts the lines of longitude which are needed for navigation. If you're a fan of the TV show The West Wing, you may have seen this issue addressed and solved with an ingenious map called the Peter's World Map. It's a rectangular map with straight lines of latitude and longitude, but it stretches the lines of longitude at the poles and at the equator, leaving most land masses accurately displayed. As such, it can be used for navigation, and it shows a much more correct size of landmasses. And of political interest, it is less Eurocentric, displaying Africa as larger and Europe as smaller than on the Mercator projection. This map has been around since 1967, and it's based on an earlier projection from 1855. So why aren't we using this map today? There are people trying to make that happen, but it's caused a huge controversy in the Cartography and Geographic Information Society. After much debate and heated argument, it was ruled, whereas the Earth is round with a coordinate system composed entirely of circles, and whereas flat world maps are more useful than globe maps, but flattening the globe surface necessarily greatly changes the appearance of Earth's features and coordinate systems, and whereas world maps have a powerful and lasting effect on people's impressions of the shapes and sizes of lands and seas, their arrangement, and the nature of the coordinate system, and whereas frequently seeing a greatly distorted map tends to make it look right, Therefore, we strongly urge book and map publishers, the media and government agencies, to cease using rectangular world maps for general purposes or artistic displays. Such maps promote serious, erroneous conceptions by severely distorting large sections of the world, by showing the round earth as having straight edges and sharp corners, by representing most distances and direct routes incorrectly, and by portraying the circular coordinate system as a squared grid. The most widely displayed rectangular world map is the Mercator, in fact, a navigational diagram devised for nautical charts, but other rectangular world maps proposed as replacements for the Mercator also display a greatly distorted image of the spherical Earth. So, 
The Mercator and the Peters projections are out, and maps such as the diamond-shaped sinusoidal equal area projection are in. Except don't you believe it. Google Maps, arguably the most used map in the world, still uses Mercator projection because it preserves angles, and for the close-up, city-scale view that most people use, that's very important. It's also the official map for nautical navigation, so we'll probably be using it as long as we need to display a sphere as a flat object. Back to Greenland. We mentioned that it was mostly covered in ice, but it's more accurate to say that it's mostly made of ice. If you removed all the ice, which global warming just might do for us, it's possible that you'd see three smaller islands, depending on sea levels. The West Coast Mystery Hum The sound you are hearing has caused many sleepless nights along the west coast of the United States. In September of 2012, that loud hum was disturbing people in West Seattle, and residents looking for relief pointed fingers in many different directions. Some blamed construction, others blamed a ship-offloading operation, and of course, some blamed a secret government project or an off-world source. But the most likely explanation is that the hum they were hearing has the same source as the sound you just heard. A fish, called the toadfish or midshipman fish. This hand-sized bottom dweller can vibrate its swim bladder to produce surprisingly loud noises. When the sound travels through the water and hits an open boat, the boat acts like a speaker and broadcasts the sound through the air. Because of its low tone, it's difficult to pinpoint the source of the sound, and some people claim not to hear it at all, giving those who do hear it the idea that maybe they're going crazy. But they're not. They're just being sung a love song. Yes, that sound means the midshipman fish is ready for love. That's not the only sound they make. If a rival male enters their space, they'll make this sound. That's the get out of here noise, and many residents of Seattle wish they could send that message to all midshipman fish who've chosen the waterways for their annual mating rituals. Midshipman fish get their name from the glowing spots on their sides and bottom that are said to resemble the two rows of gleaming buttons on a midshipman's uniform. They use these lights to attract prey, which are dramatically sucked into their oversized mouths. It needs to be said that many people don't think the source of the hum is fish at all. Scientists actually looking for the fish to study their mating habits were unable to find them in the area where the hum is reported, even with a hydrophone. If the sound is caused by the fish, they're doing a good job of hiding. As yet, the only solution to the problem of the annoying hum is to mask the sound with music, a fan, or perhaps the mating sounds of actual midshipmen. Where's the chocolate? I doubt if there is any. I doubt if any of us will get out of here alive. Oh, you should never, never doubt what nobody is sure about. That quote may seem like just a throwaway line from the movie, but it's actually part of a 1912 poem by Hilaire Belloc called The Microbe. A French expatriate living in England, Belloc is most famous for his work, Cautionary Tales for Children, which includes such stories as Rebecca, who slammed doors for fun and perished miserably, and Algernon, who played with a loaded gun and, on missing his sister, was reprimanded by his father. 
That complete work has been set to music and more recently read in an audiobook by Stephen Fry. None other than Edward Gorey illustrated it, echoing his own work of the Gashley Crumb Tinies. Here is the entire poem which apparently Mr. Wonka was so fond of. The Microbe The microbe is so very small, you cannot make him out at all. But many sanguine people hope to see him through a microscope. His jointed tongue that lies beneath, a hundred curious rows of teeth. His seven tufted tails with lots of lovely pink and purple spots on each of which a pattern stands, composed of forty separate bands. His eyebrows of a tender green, all these have never yet been seen. But scientists who ought to know, assure us that they must be so. Oh, let us never, never doubt what nobody is sure about. Belloc was a very religious man, and it's quite possible that he was poking fun at the scientific community here for some discoveries that may not have been in line with his beliefs. At any rate, we know that microbes are real, though they have probably never been seen quite as described in this poem. That's all for this week's Oddments. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks to everyone who submitted ideas for this week's episode. Show notes are available at collegeofcuriosity.com. <laughs>